You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. We're moving along in our, in our topic of uh, not misusing, misrepresenting, misquoting uh, the Word of God. Um, so I, I got to choose a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's called, God will not give you more than you can handle. Okay? So, this is, I, I'll probably, I'm going to throw this number out there. There's, there's no scientific statistics behind this. But I suspect that 95% of us have said this once or twice in our lives. All right? And it comes from an absolutely, absolutely sincere and generous and kind heart. Okay? It's done with the best of intentions. But it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Nowhere in the scriptures does God say that he will not give you more than you can handle. God will often give you more than you can handle. (laughs) So, now that we got that out of the way, (laughs) we're talking about why are we doing this? Why are we going through this series right now? Well, is because we need to remember that we need to humbly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, read the Word of God correctly. In context, considering the whole unchanging Word of God and Bible, and then live it out. We don't want to misrepresent. We don't want to do it wrong. We want to do it right. Now, nobody's perfect. We're, as we just said, the way you guys giggle, we've all probably just lied and we didn't even know it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's all right. It happens. But what are we as Christians? What are we as saints and believers? We are a new creation that God has begun a new work in us, and he is going to carry it out until completion. Well, that carrying out part is why we gather together, is because we aren't completed yet. So we're always getting better. We're always striving for more. We're trying to live out this thing called righteousness, because that's what God's called us to do. And so... We need to take this into consideration. The words we say have meaning. And the words we use are important. And we need to represent God in His fullness and not not make mistakes when we do this, even if it's out of the, you know, the sincerest of feelings and emotions. Or the, the, the how, what's that word? The, I identify with this today, so therefore I'm going to say it, right? Okay. I don't care what you identify today with. If it isn't based on the true word of God, it doesn't count. And that's what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on Jesus and his word. So where does this verse come from? I'm going to break it down into two sections. I'm going to go through the verse where this, uh, this phrase comes from. This you, can, you will not be given more than you can handle. I'm going to go through the, where it supposedly comes from. And then I'm going to break it down why this can be damaging and how to better handle those situations when people um, are faced with those tough situations and we want to be there to to help them out. So the verse comes from, as best as I can tell, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, part B. It's only a part of a sentence. It's not even the full, complete sentence. (laughs) So, So in saying that, this is what 13b says. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Tempted and handling life are two utterly and completely different things. And I just want you to be aware of that. So 
We have to remember, as Steve spoke about, and we're going to reiterate this over and over again, as the author in Hebrews said in chapter 4, he said, the, the Word of God is like a super sharp double-edged sword. It separates spirit and soul, joint and marrow, even thoughts and intentions. So when we wield this sword, which we are called to do, we have to do it by the guidance of the Holy Spirit because we want to do it like laser surgery that doesn't, that doesn't leave. We want invisible scars, right? Surgery hurts sometimes. I don't know um, if any of you ever had your appendix removed. So when my uncle had his removed, he had this scar like this long, like eight, nine inches long. When I got mine removed, because obviously this is like a next generation or two, is you know, just a little teeny scar about you know, this long. Then when my daughter got hers removed... It was orthoscopic. She's got no scars. So when we wield the word of God, we don't want to leave scars. We want to wield it in a way that, yes, people get better and that we get better because that's what we're called to do. But yet we don't want to leave devastating scars. Because let me tell you, when we misrepresent God or misrepresent his word, instead of using the sword, the sharp sides of it, it's like turning it sideways and then beating people with it right? Or the backside of a knife. You ever try to cut something with the backside of the knife? It doesn't work. It's really just mauling people. And it's going to leave ugly, nasty scars, and we don't want to do that. And that's what can happen when we misrepresent, misuse, misquote uh, the Word of God. So, moving right along, because God's Word is useful, useful for teaching, correcting, and training, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 6, Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 6 through 14. And let me back up a little bit, get a little history of Corinthians real, real quick. Corinthians was written mid-century of the first century by Paul the Apostles when he, Apostle when he was in Ephesus. And he really is what he's doing. He's tackling head-on a bunch of issues that are dividing churches. He, all these hoity-toity, you know, self-righteous believers are saying, we got to do it this way, and, and I don't care about other people, etc., etc. But Paul's going, we can't have that because nothing can hinder the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can get in the way of the gospel moving forward. So he says, I got to tackle this. Let me tell you something, church. Ministry is messy. And you're all called to be ministers. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you're all called to be ministers. And sometimes it's messy. I got a little story. Um, I was, I'm a, a firefighter paramedic for some of you that don't know down in the city of Sacramento. And so when you're on the ambulance, you know, you don't have to wear all your funky clothes that weigh a whole bunch. And, and I was on the ambulance and, you know, I have this wool uniform on, you know, a little, little pretty shiny badge, name tag, pleated down the sleeves, pleated, you know, nice and tight. You know, my, what is it, the dig lines all straight and lined up. My shoes are shine. And I'm, I get to a scene of a fire. Now, I'm not going in the fire to fight the fire because that's not my role at this time. I'm on the ambulance. So I get there and I got to get them a water supply. So I got to put this big old hose connected to this big old hydrant, right? And around this hydrant is just this puddle of mud. I mean, like deep mud. And I'm going 425 to get this reclean, half hour to clean my shoes. Because <laughs> I'm forward thinking as I'm walking up to this, looking at it, I'm thinking about all the consequences of my actions. And I go, bam, mud everywhere. And why did I do that? I had to get dirty. So the dirty eye, once I got dirty, I could get the job done. And so I just said, all right, like a little kid, I'm jumping in this puddle. And I got dirty, but I got the job done, and I dealt with the consequences for that afterwards, right? So some consequences are good, some are bad. So I say that into, is that sometimes when we get into ministry, we just got to jump in. 
We just got to jump in, get dirty, deal with it. And you know what? It's going to work out in the long run. You just got to get dirty. So I say that. That's what Paul was doing right here. He was getting dirty. He could have really upset these people if they were, you know, totally offended and whimpering. Oh, this is so hard. But yet he said, I have to deliver the word of God to these people. So here we go. So we can't let anything stop us. So backing up a couple chapters, chapter 8, Paul's digging into this battle with these people, with these hoity-toities in a sense, and he's saying, hey, I know it says, you know, knowledge puffs up. You know, you guys are eating this food. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a sacrifice to idols, but really what are these little physical idols? Nothing. So it doesn't really matter that you eat it. I get it, but for some people it matters, so stop doing it because knowledge puffs up, and you know that it's, you know, no big deal, but yet love builds up. And so he says, stop doing it. All right. So he's tackling these issues head on. And then he goes into chapter nine and he talks about how how he uh, has a right to do what he's doing and and to actually freedom in doing what he's doing. And he talks about how he didn't because, again, he doesn't want anything to hinder the spread of the gospel. He didn't take money from the church, although it was his right, because he didn't want anything at all to hinder being the good example that he is. And so, you know, and he says he became all things, you know, doesn't run aimlessly, but disciplined and under control. And then we get into chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 10. And he pulls out an example again of the Israelites wandering in the desert with all the miracles of provision provided for them by God himself, dropping bread to eat, you know, just providing everything. And yet they didn't please God and they weren't allowed into the promised land. He says, so he says, this is the example. So then we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 14. Now these things took place as an example for us. And he's referring to the verses before about the Israelites in the desert. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. Just a quick note on the word idolatry there. As they are examples, it says, they uh, ate and drank and rose up to play and don't indulge in the sexual immorality. And we often think of idolatry as you know the worship of a little physical something or a big physical something. But that's not how, what he's talking about right here. Paul's saying your play and your sexual immorality, so hence your sin is a form of idolatry. And we need to attack that head on. Um, The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the second definition says, immoderate attachment or devotion to something. And I'm here to tell you the only immoderate attachment that you should have is to the living God. Everything fails. Everything is absolutely nothing as in regards to the living God. And so if you're going to idolize something, you've got to idolize the living God. And you can't let anything come in between you because that displeases God. So, so when we're talking about idolatry here, sin comes between you and God. So you can't let, so idolatry, sinning, they're kind of the same here in this context, the way he's using it. Uh, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Oh, really quick, that 23,000, that's from a numbers thing where people, you know, 24,000 people died, 23 in a moment, and 1,000 later on. In Numbers 25, if you want to research that, 
Sometimes there's certain things and we don't have time to spend on them. The destroyer here, the Israelites believed that a punishment often, and if you were killed violently or unnaturally, it was often the punishment of God on a person for displeasing him. So that's, and he used dest- these angels, these destructive angels to do that. It's a whole nother thing right there, but just throwing that out there because it's right here. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Pay attention. Therefore, anytime you hear therefore, pay attention. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. A lot of people walk their Christian life thinking, hey, I got this under control. I got this under wraps. And he says, he says, who thinks he stands, yes, you're doing good. Take heed lest he fall. Never get too cocky or arrogant that you forget that the devil prowls after you. Okay? Never get that way. Be, be careful. So then our verse that we're focused on. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Um, number one, this whole verse... It's an excuse buster. Often people will say, I couldn't help but sin. I couldn't resist, and therefore I fell. And, and I'm telling you, that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that at all. Number one, it's saying what you're being tempted with, others have been tempted with, and you know what? Others be, after you will be tempted with the same thing. It's not uncommon. Um, but God is faithful, and when you are tempted... He's going to give you a way out. The problem is people don't look for the escape route or they miss the escape route and they choose choose to make a poor decision, which is the sin that follows that. So don't say you couldn't help but sin. You chose not to sin or you chose to sin. Own it. Deal with it. You are forgiven and move on and move on. So, Excuse busters. No one can say they could not resist. So, so how do we use this verse properly? Well, we encourage one another with it. You're like, well, it's not very encouraging. It's telling us to live righteously and live rightly and to not sin anymore. Well, yes, it is. But it's what it's really telling you as well is that you're not alone in your struggle and your battle. Others have faced it. Others will face it. Okay, you're not alone. So it's Okay. Uh, so we're there to encourage one another unto righteousness. We're, we forget in our society that we're supposed to live a righteous life. When he says we're the light of this world, he means it. And we got to live it. And we got to try and try and live it. Yes, no one's perfect. Paul says, I'm the chief among sinners. I argue with him that I am. I get it. My wife has to live with me. You can ask her. yes. I get it. But yet at the same time, we are to live righteously and we are to strive for that. That is what we're here to do. That is how our light truly shines in this dark world. So we are to encourage one another unto righteousness. It also lets you know that you can have victory. You can have victory over your sin. There is a way out. People struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. I can't find the way out. That's not what the word of God says. The Word of God says there is an escape route for you. You need to find it. 
and you need to run. Flee from your idolatry, from your sin. There is a way out. Flee from it. Train, and then also to train one another for those escape routes. If you have a testimony of running out the escape route, and someone is faced with that same temptation, don't keep it to yourself. (laughs) Use that so that others can have victory and be overcomers, because that's what we are called to, is a life of overcoming. So it is a good verse, and it is useful for teaching, and for training, and for correcting, and for us to be better, because that's what we're all about, again, is to be better. So it is good, church, it is good. But so why did I choose this topic? Changing gears. I chose this topic because it's near and dear to Andrews in my heart, and we've been hurt badly by it. Um, it, 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 Sincerely, I I say that, but let me give a little disclaimer. Let me give a little... We understand the heart of where God will not give you more than you can handle. We get it. So we're not upset. We're not, you know, trying to heap condemnation on me because she's not up here on you or anything. It's not a big deal. We can't even remember the people that have said it to us. But I do want to give that disclaimer that again, we're not upset. And the other thing, when I share this story, I'm sharing a story because it's an example I think we can all learn from. So we're not looking for sympathy either, okay? We've dealt with this. We've moved on. Uh, we're moving forward, uh, forgetting what's behind and pressing on. So, so I, so, but I do want to give that disclaimer because I don't want people to get um, upset because maybe you're saying, oh, I said that to them. Well, we've all, as we said at the beginning, used that phrase. And we've all probably used it inappropriately okay but again church what are we doing are we staying where we're at or are we moving forward forward. we're moving forward right okay wrong way i was moving backwards right there so my story we have our little annika rue she's like 10 years old now 11 thank you i got a lot of kids i can lose track sometimes a little grace huh she was she was all right, man, tough crowd, tough crowd. Anyway, so Annika Rue was born. Everything seemed fine. Uh, she was doing her little girly push-ups and holding her up her head by two months old. We thought, hey, oh, no, she's going to be moving around and walking before we want her to because anyone knows with your first kid, you're like, walk, 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 walk. With your second your kid, you're like, stay down, stay down, stay down. <laughs> so, so we're like, oh, because she was our second. We're like, oh, man, she's going to be walking at like six months. Oh, no, you know, because then they're into everything. So... So, anyways, then three months hit, and, and for the next season, all of a sudden, she lost weight. And then, so you know that you're sitting in your chairs right now. Actually, to sit in your chairs, you, some of your muscles are, are holding tone. They're flexed a little bit so that you don't not sit in your chair, okay? Well, she lost all her muscle tone. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan. She lost all her muscle tone, and, and so she became like a wet noodle. So what I mean by that is after you cook a noodle and you try to, it, it goes into the pot straight, it comes out of the pot with no tone, if I can use that word in this sense. So if you didn't have any muscle tone in your body right now, you would fall out of your chairs like a pile of spaghetti on the ground. So that's what she became. She became, uh, she lost all her muscle tone, it's called hypotonia, 
And so we were in and out of doctors, and I'm holding her down, and they're trying to draw blood, and I was getting ticked off because these, these people trying to draw the blood, oh, she's dehydrated, making up the excuse because it's hard to draw blood out of a baby. I'm all, can I just do it? It's not that difficult. It's right here. You know, even if you've got to use her forehead vein, I don't really care. Let's get this done with because she's getting cranky. We've been here for four hours already. I got to go right? And I, so just one thing after that, and then one doctor would say this, and then it was like, oh, she's got a failure to thrive. We're like, how can my baby have a failure to thrive? We love her to death. She's got a failure to thrive. She's going to die. One doctor, she's got this syndrome. She's going to die in two years. Another doctor, she's got this syndrome. So like five years, another one, 12 years, you know, you're like, ah, all these different opinions. What do I do? Oh my goodness. This was absolutely more than we could handle. We were holding a baby in our arms that we thought was dying. And we could do nothing. You know, we try the different, you know, you, you, you mix your different feeding styles. You know, you, you go from the natural way to formula to a mixture to a drip system to this system and that system and nothing, absolutely nothing was making a difference. It was more than we could handle. And I could often hear Andrea, and, well, let me just, before I get into that, let me back up. It was not just more than we can handle. It was hard on us. We were tired we were cranky. We we're kind of doing this. I know it's hard to imagine that anyone would do that with me. I know. But yet it happened. And, and I'm telling you, it was without a doubt the most difficult thing I've ever had to face. And I, we faced some challenges, but this was hard. This was hard. And I promise you this, it was more than we can handle. And then so I'd be like over where Tyler's at and Andrew would be over there and I'd hear these people come up to Andrea and in their good intended heart Oh, Andrea, you're so blessed that God trusts you with this child. You can handle it. No one else could. And I could just, as Andrew would graciously hug these people and say thank you, I could, I could feel her eyes rolling in the back of her head. And then inside she's saying, this is such B-T, bad theology. <laughs> so, 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 again, 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 it's people, as a culture, it's one of those things where often we identify with is a new key phrase, or we feel a certain way, and so therefore we say a certain thing, but it's not really helpful if it's not in line with the truth of the Word of God. And that's what was going on over and over and over again. And this is what happens when people hear that. Because remember, we live in a narcissistic, me, myself, and I society, right? You're taking God out of the equation again. You're saying, you can handle this. God's saying, no, no, you can't handle it. I can handle it. And so, so we have to be careful that we don't let our feelings or identify with statements lead us into saying untruths. So... Because, again, God is going to give you more than you can handle. And when you hear that you can handle it, you start questioning yourself. Well, why can't I handle this? You start getting feelings of frustration and anxiety. And, and I don't know, I wasn't very anxious. I'm not an anxious person. But inadequacy. And you're like, you feel like a failure and worthless. You can't handle this. Well, why can't I handle this? Why can't I get through this? What is wrong with me? What did I do wrong? What do I need to correct? How do I fix this problem? All these things start running through your head because you can handle it. You can do it. 
When we misrepresent God and his word, even with a good heart, it is still damaging because it isn't the truth. Again, I know I'm kind of beating this dead horse. I don't want to heap condemnation on anybody. I just want us to move forward and handle this right next time it approaches and comes up, okay? So don't, so don't sit there and, and I know some people, I see it in some eyes like, oh my goodness, I was so wrong. No, we're, we're all wrong at some point in our life. The key is we don't stay wrong, we move forward. So that's why I say that. that. That's why I bring this up. So understand, understand that we don't want to empower the individual to handle it. We want to encourage people to tap into the power of creation. So, so this was more than we can handle. And I'm telling you, church, it's good to be in more than you can handle. You're like, no, I don't like it. Well, <laughs> And again, I'm not talking about temptation, right? We've moved on from that. When God says God gives you more than you can handle, it's not temptation because there's always an escape route. You have that ability to get out. But God will give you more than you have. Why? Because he wants to help. Okay? He wants you to turn to him. He cares. He wants you to lean on him and depend on him. He wants to do miracles. We forget in our Western culture that God is still a miracle worker. He's the same. He still wants to perform miracles. He still wants to perform miracles. Because let me tell you something. When you can't handle it, he's the answer. He's the answer when you can't handle it. He wants to provide for us. Logan talked about two weeks ago in, in his message about the eternal good that comes for those who believe in him, right? Well, I'm going to tell you something. We don't always see that eternal good when we're in the midst of it. But I'm telling you what, God is faithful and good, and it is going to turn out for his good purposes in time. Sometimes we just got to dig in deep and wait, 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 sometimes even wait some more. But it will turn out for his eternal good purposes. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I don't know. I don't think Paul could handle it right now. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Church, you are going to get more than you can handle so that you don't turn to you, yourself, and I, but that you turn to God who is the answer. He wants you to rely on Him. He wants you to turn to Him. He wants you to give it to Him, just as Paul said. But that was to make us Rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. And if you want a little bit more about what Paul was going into, we don't have time today, go to Second Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 11, get a little bit more insight, you will be blown away. I couldn't handle having a sick kid. It was absolutely, utterly destroying us, me, because I couldn't handle it. So what Andrew and I have to do? 
Well, number one, we never even once said the D word, divorce. Okay, that never came into line. It was, we need to plug into God. We can't handle this. We need to get through this, and we can't do it on our own. So we leaned into God. We leaned on Him hard. We said, strengthen us. We are weak. We need help. Help us. That is probably the greatest prayer of all time. Lord, help me. Use it often, and He will help you in your work situations, in your raising your kids, in your everyday life. Lord, help me. I can't do this. And I'm telling you, He will help you. We had to learn to surrender. We had to surrender our little baby's life into His, into his care. We said, she is yours. She is yours. We surrender. We surrender. We had to let go and let Him. Let go and let Him. But let me tell you something. She is our personal little miracle. And for many of you who know her, you know this. So we didn't think she would ever walk. I don't know if any of you remember, she had those little braces on her legs, and then she had that little red walker, little red, like, wheeling walker, you know, little golf balls on it. Um, we didn't think she'd ever walk. And she's walking, a little clumsy. She runs, really clumsy, but yes, she does. Uh, we didn't think she'd ever talk. She said her first words at three years old. Uh, she communicates with us. I mean, it's not perfect. Every once in a while, I'm like, what? What did you say? But yeah, she communicates. She gets it out. She fights to get it out and communicate. She's a miracle. And not only that, God's eternal good came through. There's families that know Jesus because of her. Because we would have never had a relationship with these families that we could bring to Westside or whatever, and then the Westside family love them into the kingdom because that's what we do at Westside. We would have never got there. And yet, yet she's our little miracle. And God did his eternal good through her, through our I can't handle it time. So don't get discouraged if you can't handle it. Get into God because he can handle it. He can handle it. And here's the other thing is that when you get through these times of not handling it, when you get through them, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. God gets the glory. That's what we're here for. We're here to glorify God. That's our purpose, to bring God glory. And so when we give Him the credit, when we lean on Him, when we cry out for help, and He does His thing, He works it out for good, His eternal good, not our comfort, not you know a Ferrari or anything silly like that, but He works it out for eternal good, salvations, people coming back to the fold. When He does His eternal work, it is something to rejoice about. So you can't handle it, and it's okay. But this is what you don't do. You do not rob God of his glory by trying to think you can handle it on your own. Let him handle it. And do not misrepresent him by telling people they can do it on their own. Tell them to dig into God. Church, embrace getting more than you can handle. It brings him glory, which is your purpose in life, to glorify the creator and teaches you to depend on him. But... What do I say to someone who's in the middle of it? How do I do? I, you know, especially, we have a, a beautiful, loving family here. And we want to help each other out. We want to be there to, to, to share our heart and to share our burdens with one another and, and to see people through. So how do we do it? 
How do we encourage people to get through their hard times? Well, number one, a prayer goes miles. Pray for them. Stand with them in prayer. If you commit to it, do it. Don't say you're going to pray for someone every day and then not pray for them every day. Say you'll pray for them often, unless you mean you're going to pray for them every day. A hug goes miles. Just a simple hug. Just a simple hug. I know there's scientific proof to all this stuff, but I don't have it. But I'm telling you what, a hug for someone can go miles. Just a simple little hug. Just a shoulder to lean on. Just sit there in silence with people. You don't have to even say anything. You just be there. Let them know, hey, I'm here to help whatever I can do for you. Whatever. And then when our American do-it-myself culture asks for help, make sure you help them. Because <laughs> they're letting down their guard. They're dropping their pride. So if they ask for help, help them. And if you can't do it yourself, uh, get you know, let Logan or myself or Joe or, or, or one of us know or a team of people around you say, hey, this person asked for this, and they're in the middle of it. And I need help to help them because they asked for help, but I can't do it. Well, we'll get that taken care of. We're not a church that doesn't take care of that. We get that taken care of. Somehow, some way, the Lord will find a way for us to get that taken care of. So if someone asks for help, make it known so that God can do his thing. But if you must talk, like Logan, <laughs> if you must talk, <laughs> you must talk share your heart don't make up excuses don't fill them with a bunch of fluff and don't lie to them share your heart I'm weeping with you I'm crushed for you however it works for you each of us knows but my heart's bleeding for you whatever it is I'm crushed with you but I'm going to stand here with you share your heart with them let them know that your heart aches for them but you're there to help Here's kind of a phrase I put together to help those that, like Logan that must say something. God has given you a lot, more than you or any other person can handle. He is faithful to see you through when you rely on Him. And eternal good will come from this since you love Jesus. You might not see it now, but that is His promise and way. Just dig into Jesus and rely on Him. Church, I promise you that you will get more than you can handle. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I encourage you to just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray if the band wants to come on up now. Lord, I just thank you that you love us dearly. I thank you that, that you have called us to be sons and daughters of the living God, that you made a way for us, Jesus. I thank you for times when we can't handle it because that just helps us to rely on you more and makes us better for it. It helps us to learn to trust you. It helps us to learn to advance your kingdom in better ways. Lord, I praise you and I just thank you because I know you're working eternal good in the midst of all our struggles and trials and tribulations. Lord, I, your word says that people will hate you and therefore they're going to hate us too. And I just praise you that we can lean on you in all these times. I just praise you that you are going to make a way, that you are going to provide for us, that you care for us, that you are going to help us through it. Lord, teach us to lean on you, Jesus. Amen.